The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. The shepherds went in haste to Bethlehem and found Mary and Joseph and the infant lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known the message they had been told about this child. All who heard it were amazed by what had been told them by the shepherds. And Mary kept all these things, reflecting on them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as it had been told to them. When eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus the name given him by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Good evening, everyone. Very happy New Year to all. Uh, so grateful to the Oblates of the Virgin Mary for hosting us here tonight as we gather to begin our new year in the presence of our God. Uh, we're grateful for the priests, the seminarians, the sisters, and uh, all of you for your presence here to- today, and grateful in a very special way for all of those involved in the pro-life ministry of the Archdiocese, and uh, we look forward to making this new year a pro-life year. Coming over to St. Clement's tonight on the car radio, they were interviewing people in Times Square, where there are hundreds of thousands of people in the rain without umbrellas because that would be a safety issue waiting for the glass ball to come down. Well, here we're gathered in a nice, dry, and a beautiful space, and we will watch the Eucharistic Lord be held aloft over our heads. The first word of God proclaimed in the liturgy for January 1st is from the book of Numbers, and it is a blessing. The Lord bless and keep you. The Lord let his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you kindly and give you peace. This was the blessing that St. Francis, who was not a priest, would always give when people would ask for a blessing. New Year's is a time for new beginnings, new hope, new blessings. We hope that the new year will be better. We make New Year's resolutions. I understand that people have been doing that for 4,000 years. That's a lot of broken resolutions. (laughs) Our resolutions often have to do with a healthy lifestyle. Lose weight. Stop smoking. Eat better. Get more sleep. Do more exercise. There are also many attempts at self-improvement. 
like read more books, be more grateful, make new friends, stop procrastinating, be kinder, volunteer. We hope that all of these resolutions will help us to live better. These resolutions do remind us that we are capable of change and growth and that if it's going to happen, we need to make good choices. And the true freedom comes only through discipline and not self-indulgence. But we gather here tonight as a people of faith. We gather to ask for forgiveness of all the sins of this past year. We gather to count our blessings and to say thank you to God. We gather, too, to number our days to realize that this new year could be our last year. There's a certain urgency about that. And we're also here to once again embrace a mission that the Lord has entrusted to us. To me, World War II is an apocalyptic moment in our history where the greatest evil and the greatest sanctity were in a fight with each other, in a conflict. When we went to World Youth Day in Warsaw, it was such a contrast to visit the places where St. Faustina and Pope John Paul II had lived and embodied God's grace and his mercy, and then to go to Auschwitz, where Maximilian Kolbe and so many others lost their lives. Yesterday, the day before, I happened into a bookstore. Remember what those are. There's still a few left. And I found a book there called Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. It was published in 1945, and on the cover of the book, in this new publication, a new edition, they said over 12 million copies are in print. I read this book when I was in the seminary, and it made quite an impact on me. The author was a Jewish psychiatrist from Vienna, whose memoir has riveted generations of readers with descriptions of life in the Nazi death camps and its lessons for spiritual survival. Frankl argues that we cannot avoid suffering, but we can choose how to cope with it, finding meaning in it. At the heart of his theory, which is known as logotherapy, is the conviction that the primary human drive is not for pleasure, but the pursuit of finding meaning. In the preface to the 1992 edition that Frankel wrote just before he died, he talks about how he was planning to escape from Austria just after the Anschluss, when the Nazis took over. He was very relieved when he received a notice that he could go 
to the American embassy and pick up a visa. And his parents, who were very elderly and very worried about their son, were so happy. But when he went to the embassy and picked up the visa, he went home, he was very conflicted. He didn't know what to do. He didn't want to abandon his parents, and yet they were encouraging him to take this opportunity to escape from what was about to happen in his country. When he went into his parents' home, he found on the table a piece of marble, and he asked his dad where it came from, and he said his dad had gone to the site where the Nazis had just destroyed the largest synagogue in Vienna. They burned it down, and he rescued this one piece of marble that had been part of the Ten Commandments. And the gilded Hebrew letter that it was engraved on that piece was the letter that stood for the commandment, Honor thy father and thy mother, and thy days will be long upon the earth. Frankel considered that piece of stone a hint from heaven, as he called it. He decided to stay with his parents and let his visa lapse. The first part of his book is a description of what happens, of the horrors of the concentration camps. His parents, his wife, and almost all of his family were murdered at Auschwitz. Frankel observes how those people who were in the camps who had meaning in their lives, fared much better. People with religious convictions, people committed to their family, that allowed them to survive. I love the expression that Frankel coins. He calls it logotherapy. By it he means the use of life's meaning as a path to health. Logos, of course, is the Greek word for word. In John's Gospel, Jesus is the Logos. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and all that has been made has been made through him. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. In today's Gospel, the shepherds draw near and see the Word made flesh in Mary's arms. Let us begin this new year in the same way, adoring the Word made flesh. In Christ, we discover God's love, which is the meaning of our existence. And in that, we discover our own identity. We discover our dignity. And we discover our mission. Our greatest challenge is not to overcome really big sins or crimes in our lives, but to try and shake off the mediocrity that keeps us from loving God with our whole heart, our whole soul, and all of our strength. We say that we love our neighbors as ourselves, but so often our love is focused on those who love us, our families, our friends, those who are good to us. There's little left over for those who cannot love us back, much less for those who intentionally slight us, those whose children are better athletes than our own, as someone said, 
or whose conversations are awkward and uncomfortable. Our love is often highly conditional and very selective and comes with strings attached. Jesus really wants to make everything as simple as possible for us. He says that the law and the prophets, everything about our religion can be defined by love of God and love of neighbor. As we begin this new year, we examine our lives in the light of that great commandment. Today we want to ask ourselves if we are truly disciples of Jesus. Two thousand years ago, Jesus called the first disciples with the invitation, follow me. We have received that same invitation. It's an invitation to follow, to walk with, to imitate, to pattern our lives on Jesus Christ. Part of being a disciple is embracing Jesus' mission to carry the gospel to every creature. Being a disciple is a call to be a disciple maker. They often reflect on the fact that in the New Testament, there are two occasions when Jesus says farewell to his disciples and gives us our marching orders. And they are Holy Thursday and Ascension Thursday. And Holy Thursday, the Lord gives us the Eucharist as a gift of himself to us. And he gives us a new commandment telling us to love each other in the community of faith the way that he loves us. That is the sign to the world that we are his disciples. And it's that sign that will lead others to discover God's love in our midst. Fast forward a month and a half, and Jesus is saying farewell again. And he gives us another command. Go make disciples of all people, teaching them what I've taught you. Being a disciple is about sharing the joy of knowing Christ. It's finding the hidden treasure in the field and with joy to go and sell all that we have to obtain that treasure. And once we have the treasure, our task is to share it with others. Today we honor Mary, the first disciple, the greatest disciple. We ask her to help us to embrace our vocation as disciples. Discipleship is a costly grace, but it's our logotherapy, the path to inner peace, to happiness, to salvation. The word was made flesh. Let him be flesh in our hearts. Amen.